Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. I want to invite you this morning to turn your Bible to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3, we're going to pick up this morning with verse number 7. In this passage, we've been in a part of a four-part series. I appreciate Hunter preaching for us last week. We preached together a four-part series entitled Living in the Power of His Cross and His Resurrection. And this morning, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3. And I want us to go ahead and go back to the beginning of this chapter, just to read it in its entirety, in its context, and read through uh, verse 11. Uh, let me just, uh, just say to you that, that uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, that is great about a trip like we just took is the opportunity we have to get to know people. Uh, I got to know uh, Daniel, and I got to know Raul, and Adriana, and uh, Damaris, and I uh, got to know uh, Katia, and uh, Roberto, and uh, Carlos, and a number of folks. I got to know them during this time. Some of them we'd already known by email and even Skype, but we got to know them better. Edwin and I spent nine days together. Uh, we already knew each other, for we've been knowing each other for 10 years, but we never lived in the same room together and by the, in the same books together uh, over our, at our camp we were at this past week. So Edwin and I know each other much better. He probably think, knows things about me he wish he didn't know, you know? But, uh, but uh, you know, like I snore and things like that. But we, uh, we, uh, we got to know each other. But, but I've been married to my sweetheart, Karen, for uh, coming up on 37 years, and I know Karen, and she knows me. But you know, we're still getting to know each other better. But you know, we are, we're finite, right? But the Lord Jesus Christ is infinite. And the wonderful privilege of the Christian life is getting to know Christ. And that's what this passage is about. I want to invite you, if you will, to stand with me as we read this passage, if you're able. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to pick up with verse 1 and, and read um, through verse 11. Paul writes... Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks him, he, he may, uh, thinks him else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain 
to the resurrection from the dead. And from this passage, I'll bring a message entitled, Do You Know the Resurrected Christ? Let's pray together. Father, it's been such a glorious day to worship you. We know every, every Lord's Day really is a resurrection day. We meet on the first day of the week to honor the resurrection of Christ. And then really, Lord, every day is a resurrection day because, Lord Jesus, you are our life. We would have no life apart from you. So we thank you that we can celebrate every moment of every day because of the resurrected Lord Jesus who lives in us. Thank you for a special day that we can celebrate with believers all over the globe that our Lord is alive, that he reigns. And Lord, we thank you for the celebration we've already had. And now for this time we've come together, may we continue to receive you, receive your word, that you, the truth you have for us. Speak to us through this passage, Lord, about what it really means to know the resurrected Christ. Lord, we would, we would again pray for any in our midst who don't know you, have never come to, to know you by, by turning from sin and forsaking sin and following you, that they might be awakened to their need for Christ. Lord, we pray for those, some believers who maybe have known you for, for 10, 5, 15, 20, 50, uh, maybe longer that have known you for many years. And Lord, I pray that, that they will celebrate with us the fact that to know Christ means we're on a journey that, that really, because of your glory and how wonderful you are, we'll, we'll never fully know all the wonders of your glory. So speak to us today, Father, and may this be a day that will transform our life for your glory. We love you, we exalt you, and we pray these things believing in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Do you know the resurrected Christ? You may say, oh yes, Pastor, I know Christ. I, I came to know Christ and, and name the date when that experience took place in your life. And maybe when you hear a title like this, do you know the resurrected Christ? You may think to yourself, well, well, this sounds like the pastor is going to preach an evangelistic message today. He's going to preach to, to unbelievers who don't know Christ so they'll realize their need for Christ. Well, if, if a person is here today, if you're here today and you've never truly turned from sin and turned to Christ and surrendered to him, then it is our prayer for you that, that God will speak to your heart and awaken your heart to your need for Christ. But this, again, is a message for the, that person as well who has known Christ for many, many years but you're on this same journey that Paul was on. Paul, by this time, had been a believer for 30 years. And yet he said that I may know Christ. So based on this text today, another way uh, that I could ask this question to you in this message is, are you growing in your knowing of the resurrected Christ? Are you growing to know him better? In these, first, uh, these few verses I've read uh, here, and really in verses 7 to 11, uh, 11 times uh, Christ uh, is, is mentioned. So this passage is, is all about Jesus. And, and Paul really, uh, some have said that these verses are Paul's life verses because really they sum up for Paul what the whole purpose of, Christ, of life is all about. That I may know Christ. That's what it is all about. This word know in, in the Greek language is the, is the word gnosko. And uh, there's more than one word in the Greek language to to, uh, to describe knowing or to translate it know, but this particular word means to know by experience. Interestingly, the, uh, the Old Testament equivalent for this word is, is a word that is used of the most intimate relationship. The Bible says in Genesis that Adam knew his wife and she bore a son. He had an intimate love relationship with 
her. So again, this word uh, speaks of a bond uh, of love relationship, a union of love that God wants to experience with every one of his children. And again, it's a growing uh, love relationship with Christ. Uh, John Phillips says that this, this knowing Christ is the secret of a holy life. No one, he says, can, can live a holy life without utter dedication to the life purpose of knowing Christ. Is that your life purpose today? To know Christ? To know Him better? Again, Paul, Paul had known Christ for many years now. He met Him on the, the road to Damascus. He was out there persecuting the church. He was on his way to persecute believers, put him, throw him in prison, responsible, no doubt, for the death of many believers. He was radically opposed to Christ. And yet that day, he met the resurrected Christ. And his life was totally transformed as he came to realize that Jesus was and, and is the resurrected Christ. He surrendered to him. His life was totally transformed. And he became a radical follower of Christ and began to share the gospel all over the world. He had a heart's desire uh, to see that, that people hear the gospel and, and, and repent of their sin and trust in Christ. So this is not a prayer to come to know Christ for the first time, but again, to know him better, to grow a more fully understanding of him. And Because again, Jesus being an infinite person, God, eternal God who's always been, the creator of the universe, you can never fully know him to the fullest extent. So he had a desire to continue to grow in his knowledge of Christ and to grow to come to know him better. And again, that's what makes the Christian life so exciting. That's what makes the Christian life extraordinary. That's what makes uh, the, the, the Christian life worth living and enjoyable. God wants us to enjoy him. He's alive. And he wants us to fellowship with him and walk with him. And so... Uh, even in heaven, dear friend, we will we'll never fully comprehend all of Christ. That'll even make heaven exciting and wonderful because we'll come to more and more see it, more glimpses of who he is and more wonder of, of, of who Christ is. So I want you to look with me at this passage today, and I want you to see five ways that we can grow in our knowledge of Christ, that we could grow in our knowing, if you will, of the resurrected Christ. First of all, know the resurrected Christ by forsaking all and trusting in Him. Know the resurrected Christ by forsaking all and trusting in Him. And we're just going to look briefly at verses 7 to 9 in this passage because, again, in this part of the passage, Paul uh, gives the truth to this church about the source of righteousness. There was a group of people uh, who were false teachers. They were known as Judaizers. And they were a real problem in the time of the early church because they, uh, they uh, were trying to teach people that basically you had to become a Jew before you could become a believer in Christ. They, and they, you had to keep the laws, the Old Testament laws, uh, and, and uh, that, that, that basically they were saying Christ is not enough. They were saying you need more than just Christ. Uh, and, and so Paul uh, was, spent a great deal of his time in his teaching and his writing by the Holy Spirit's inspiration to deal with this issue. And again, he makes it clear in this passage that, that, we are, that we must have confidence in no one but Christ because Christ's righteousness is the only true righteousness. Everything else is false righteousness uh, and, and not righteousness at all. And again, beginning there in verses 4 to 6, he shows uh, that all the things that he used to have confidence in. Remember Paul now as Saul was a persecutor of the church. He was a, a Pharisee, and, and, he, began, and he was a, a, a leader among the Jews. 
And so he begins to talk about all those things that he used to trust in, his rituals. He trusted in his race. He trusted in his respectability, in his family relationships, in his religious affiliation, his radicalism by persecuting the church, and even in his human righteousness. And and so Paul goes on to say in in verse 7 that everything that he thought at one time were prophets. It was like he had a, a, a prophets and a loss list. Uh, and, and he said, those things that I thought were profits, the gains, those things that I put my trust in, that I depended on, that I thought were good. He said, now I see all of those things as loss. You see, Paul is not just saying, you know, those were, those were, uh, those were good things, but Christ is better. No, really, just the opposite. You know, some, by the way, sometimes I'll hear people say, well, you know, before I came to Christ, and I especially hear preachers that like to say this. They like to say, well, you know, before, uh, before God called me, I was going to be a professional athlete. Y'all ever heard anybody say that? You know, I was going to be a professional golfer. I probably would have been a professional football player. No, you know, Paul doesn't look at it like that. He said, all those things that I thought were really gains to me, those things now I see not only as that, that, that Christ is better, those are law. Because you see, those very things that I trusted in were the very things that were keeping me from Christ. You know, some people today, some of you here today, you may be like, like Paul or like Saul, like he had been, and you think, well, hey, I don't really need Christ because, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. You know, look at all these. I'm religious. You know, I, uh, I know I'm not as bad as some of those people are. And, and I, uh, Edwin had an opportunity to speak to a fellow on the plane the other day a nice fellow. And I was, I was praying for Edwin and was, he was talking to him. We had some opportunities. I had opportunities to share the gospel on the, on the way back from Costa Rica to, uh, uh, to, uh, to, to Texas. And he had an opportunity from Texas to Memphis to share the gospel on the plane. And I was grateful. And I, I overheard their conversation. I was praying. I was sitting right in front of him. And, uh, and this fellow, you know, he had problems because of so many of the hypocrites in churches. Well, you know, there are plenty of them. Amen. And uh, play actors. Uh, but, but again, this man basically thought he was a pretty good fella. And there's a lot of people who are like that. They think, well, I know I'm better than so many of those people. And you may very well be. But friend, the very thing that you may be feeling good about may be the very thing that's keeping you from a relationship with Christ. Because in order to, to recognize your need for Christ, you have to realize not, not that those things are gains, but really those things are losses. Those very things you're trusting in, like Paul says, he says they, they became really one big loss. In fact, Paul says in verse 8, he says, I, I continuously now count them as rubbish. And, you know, this is literally, this word literally means dumb. I mean, you know, this is worse than bad. I mean, this is terrible. And I realize now those very things that I thought were good are worse than bad now. They're the very things that I was trusting in. And I was thinking, I'm okay. I'm good. I'm, I'm pleasing to God. I'm even persecuting the church because of these terrible Christians. But he came to realize that all those things were really negative things. And now he said, my only gain, my only profit is Christ. And he says, I gladly trade them in. Look again at, at, verse, uh, at verse number nine. He said, and to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And again, back at verse eight, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. One translates this, the, pers- the surpassing value of knowing Christ, of knowing Christ. 
And friend, that is where we must come to in order to know Christ in the beginning of a relationship is come to the realization, again, that Christ is all and in all. And we must be willing to forsake all to follow Christ. Forsake, uh, yes, the wicked things of our lives, but even to forsake the good things in our lives if that is what we're trusting in because those good things become wicked things if that is what we're, we're trusting in instead of Jesus. And he'd come to realize that righteousness did not come through keeping the law, but through Christ alone. And that was made possible by the death and the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. His becoming sin for us, his taking our sin upon himself, becoming sin for us, becoming our substitute on that cross, being then buried and being raised again. The Lord Jesus did that for us, and that makes possible our salvation. We have to be willing it, to know Christ, to forsake uh, all, and, and trust in Christ and him alone. Jesus told two parables in. Um, in, in Matthew chapter 13, one of them is very, very brief. And it's about a man who found a treasure in a field. He found that treasure. And, you know, he, I can imagine him looking around and seeing nobody around to see him. He buried it again. He went and sold everything he had. And then he went back and, and, and bought that field because, because of that treasure. And then immediately after that, he told about another man who found a pearl of, uh, of great price. And again, he sold everything he had in order to buy that pearl. You see, both of these men, in essence, were saying the same thing. Because the, 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 the treasure uh, and the pearl represent the Lord Jesus Christ. And the life that we have in him. And Jesus was indicating to us through those parables that, that he is the one who is worth forsaking everything for turning against everything. Why is it that we rejoice? Why is it that we weep in humility when we think about what Christ has done for us and about the, the, the hell that we deserved, yet instead now we have life through the Lord Jesus Christ? Again, because we, once we've experienced that grace and that forgiveness, we don't get over it. In fact, the more we come to know Christ and the more we come to realize this treasure that we've had, the more we realize how worth and how glorious this treasure is in Christ. And we realize the life that he's given to us is, is far more glorious than we ever even understood when we came to realize how wonderful that he was by his grace. And so again, Paul, like these men in this parable, were saying, hey, listen, I, those things that I used to think were, were a treasure to me, now I realize they're, they're worse than that. They're, they're worse than nothing. And I've come to realize that Christ is the treasure worth forsaking everything for, leaving everything behind to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He, I, I'm willing to get rid of everything and take the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to ask you today, are, are you convinced that Christ is a treasure worth losing everything for, worth, worth walking off from everything because again to know him you must first forsake all and trust in him but second know the resurrected Christ by experiencing the power of his resurrection know the resurrected Christ in a better way in a more intimate way in a growing way by experiencing the power of his resurrection. Look down now to verse 10. Paul sums it up there in these two final verses as he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. This is, the, is again the whole key uh, passage uh, here about knowing Christ, knowing Christ. And again, the key word here is, is power, that I may know him and the power 
of his resurrection. The word power is the word dunamis. It means that which overcomes resistance. Same word used in Acts 1-8 when, when God tells us that, that we receive power when we receive the Holy Spirit. We receive this power when we receive Christ. We do so, of course, to begin with in that verse says we do so to be his witnesses, to be his ambassadors, to represent him. Uh, but again, really, this, this power that he's describing here is the power of the resurrection. The power that, that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that now dwells in us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is available to us. If you have been uh, saved today, if you've returned from your sin, trusted in Christ, if Christ is your Lord, your Savior, your life, then the Bible says you too are indwelt by this resurrection power. By the way, if you have not received Christ, if you've not truly turned from sin and trusted Him, you, you're not, uh, re- you have not received His power, but you can by, by, by grace through faith in Christ alone, uh, trusting in Him. But again, the same power, the same resurrection power which raised Jesus from the dead, saved us from hell, is now available to us for daily living. The Bible says that because we died with Christ and were raised with Him, Romans 6, 4, and 5 says, we were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We saw this a few weeks ago and we looked at at Romans 6 together is one of the, one of the aspects of living in, in, the, in his power, living in the power of his, of his death and his, his resurrection. So again, Paul said, uh, I, I want to know Christ, know Christ by, by experiencing the power of his resurrection. Friend, you must believe the truth of the fact that there's nothing which the resurrection power of Jesus cannot Overcome. Remember, the, this word means that which overcomes resistance. The resurrection power of Jesus overcomes everything. He defeated all the, the enemies um, of life at the cross. He defeated sin. He defeated death. He defeated the grave. He defeated hell. He defeated Satan. That, Lord, that same power that Jesus defeated all of our enemies is now abiding in us as the people of God, and His power is available to us. His power, His resurrection power enables us uh, to be victorious in our walk, in our daily life. It enables us to be victorious in our witnessing, and our sharing Christ. You know, I'll be honest with you, Edwin and I both can tell you there's sometimes when you get in situations uh, in, in, on, a witness, on a mission trip, just like in daily life, you know, you might say, well, is it, is it always comfortable to talk to people on an airplane? Is it always comfortable to talk to people in a foreign country uh, about the gospel? No, no easier than it is here. And sure, it's sometime. And uh, it's not always easy. But you know what? God makes His power available to us. He enables us. He empowers us to witness, to share the gospel as we put our trust in Him. But also, His power is available to us in warfare. The Bible tells us that as, as God's children that we have an enemy. And that's why he tells us uh, in, in Ephesians 6 to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to overcome the enemy, uh, the, the schemes and tricks of our enemy. So we are indwelt by the power of the resurrection. But again, dear friend, this power is available to us, but you must appropriate the power by faith. 
You must appropriate it by faith. Have you done that? Are you doing that? Don't you want to do that? Don't you want to know God's resurrection power? Does it make any sense that if the power of God is available to us, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, does it make any sense that we would live defeated lives? That we would live powerless lives when all of his power is available to us? So I challenge you today, if there's an area in your life you're being defeated in, then tell the Lord about it, repent of that, and, and trust him to empower you by his spirit, cleanse you, by His precious blood and empower you by His Spirit. Appropriate His resurrection power. Know the resurrected Christ by experiencing the power of His resurrection. Uh, I read the the story about a a missionary. His name was Herbert Jackson. And uh, he went to serve on a mission field. And uh, they assigned him a a car while he was there. Well, um, uh, sometimes, you know, uh, resources aren't so great. And sometimes maybe you don't get the, the best of everything. And this particular car that he got... Uh, it, didn't, um, it didn't run very well. In fact, this missionary, basically every morning to get his car started, he had to have a bunch of kids to push him off and, and jump the car off, you know, straight shift, standard shift, uh, stick shift, as we say. And he would jump the car off. And, and then when he got somewhere uh, that he was going, he would hope there would be a hill there so he could park the car and he could roll it off and jump it off again. If not, he'd just leave it running. And uh, sounds like some that I grew up with. And uh, so uh, anyway, so he stayed on the field about two years, and then due to health problems, he and his wife were going to have to return to the United States, so a new missionary came. And so he was uh, sharing with the new missionary about how he had to get the car started. Well, this young missionary opened the hood of the car, looked at the battery, and he said, I think the problem is a loose cable. He tightened the cable, got in the car, and immediately started the car. Sounds like me. I mean, you know... um, At least I would be the one that kept on driving the old car and jumping it off. You know, the problem all along was a loose connection. You know, and how true that is so often of us. God's power is available to us as his children. It's available through the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us, the power of the resurrection indwelling us, and yet we live with loose connection. We live going through things we don't have to go through. We, yes, we're going to have problems. We're going to deal with issues, and we're even going to have car, car problems. But the power of the Holy Spirit is available to us, the power of his resurrection. The, the resurrection power of Christ is available to us for living, but we must appropriate his power. Thirdly, know the resurrected Christ by participating in his sufferings. Look again at verse, verse 10. And again, the words that I may know are understood here. That, that I may know the fellowship of his sufferings. The word here, fellowship. You know what the word fellowship is, right? Koinonia. Wow, you know the Greek. Koinonia. That means a, a joint participation in. The, the joint participation in his sufferings. Now, can, can you imagine praying that or saying that, that I may know the, the joint participation in his sufferings. Do you know many people that say, I want to jointly participate in the sufferings of Christ? Why would Paul say something like that? Well, again, let me first of all clarify, this is not the suffering of Christ on the cross. What Jesus did on the cross, he alone could do. Because he alone was God. He alone was the sinless Savior. He alone could, could uh, atone for our sin and die as our sinless substitute. Those, those sufferings were finished and completed at the cross. Hallelujah. But the sufferings here refer to his sufferings 
for righteousness' sake. Isaiah said of the Lord Jesus, and Jesus perfectly fulfilled this. He said he was despised and rejected of men. Jesus was rejected in his hometown. He was rejected uh, by religious leaders. He was accused of being illegitimate in birth. He suffered even later rejection in his family. Again, uh, his enemies twisted his words, hired false witnesses against him. The Lord Jesus knew what it was to be despised and to be rejected of men. And Paul said that I may know him and the fellowship, the joint participation in his sufferings. The Lord Jesus made it very clear for us that we would experience suffering in our life. In fact, when on the day that Saul was saved, on, uh, the Bible tells about it in Acts chapter 9, very shortly thereafter, God told a man named Ananias to go to Saul, and among the things he told him that, that, that he was to tell him, he said, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So when Paul would, would say that I may know him and the fellowship, the joint participation in his sufferings, he knew something already about what he was talking about. But he also knew what the result of that was in his life. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, he said, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Can you imagine that? Paul said that uh, here by the inspiration's Holy, the Holy Spirit's inspiration, that we are granted the privilege of suffering for the sake of Christ. You see, we see suffering as something to run from, don't we? We see suffering as an enemy, but we must not see suffering as an enemy. We must see suffering as a friend that God brings into our life for a purpose. This included the suffering of persecution. Jesus said we're to be congratulated Blessed are you when you are, when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For great is your reward in heaven, the Lord Jesus said. Paul had experienced that, all right. He'd been beaten. He'd been stoned, left for dead, in prison numerous times, shipwrecked. And again, uh, he was rejected by his family. Uh, he, like the Lord Jesus, was hated by the Jews whom he loved, criticized by some in the church. And, and again, he knew the suffering of persecution. And the Bible says all who live godly will suffer persecution. Believer, are you, uh, are you suffering persecution? Don't see it as an enemy. The Bible says if you're living godly, you will. So if you're not suffering persecution, uh, better check up. The Bible says that's going to happen. But also suffering can include what we might call purging in our life. God takes us through a process of brokenness in order that he can use us. And, and, and Paul, who had been a very, very proud man, knew what it meant to go through the process of breaking of his pride. A, a painful process, but a necessary one. But again, he desired the fellowship, the, the communion, the, the joint participation, if you will, in the suffering of Christ because of what it produced. And sharing in his sufferings, dear friend, enables us to experience a level of a relationship with him, of knowing Christ in a way that we would not and could not know him otherwise. Paul said, I desire to know him through the fellowship of his sufferings. One of the things that suffering does is it puts us in a position where we have to be where we need to be all along, and that is living in total dependence upon him. It has a way of dealing with our independence and our self-sufficiency, breaking us of that pride 
and showing us that we need the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the most Christ-like people that Karen and I have ever known was a member of a, of a previous church who's now with the Lord who went through tremendous physical suffering and pain. And I'll never forget the night she said in a testimony service, she said, um, I can say now that what I've been through in the suffering and pain that I've endured has been worth it all because of what it has done to draw me close to Christ. I know Christ now in a way that I never would have known him otherwise. I've come to experience a relationship with him and a dependency upon him that I would never have known otherwise. Know Christ by participating in his sufferings. Know the fourth, know the resurrected Christ by being conformed to his death. And again, in, in, in verse uh, 10, uh, the next part of verse 10, again, that I may know him, that I may know him being conformed to his death. The word being conformed is, it comes from a Greek word which means to make of the like form with another person or thing. You see, God's purpose in our lives, uh, in the, as we know Christ, one of the things that God is doing is he is seeking to make us more like Christ. And, and the Bible tells us that we, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, we have already been crucified with Christ. One of the things that, that we join Christ in, the Bible tells us the moment we're saved, we come to realize that we are now crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me in the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Bible says the old person we were was put to death with Christ on the cross. You say, that, that, that's, that's crazy. Who ever heard of that? That's, that's crazy. Well, that's what the Bible says. That happened to us. And that's good news for us. The old person we used to be was crucified with Christ. The new person we are now was raised with Christ. And we're new creations in the Lord Jesus Christ. But again, we still have the power of sin within us. So we're, we're, but we're no longer obligated to obey that. That's why Romans 6, 11 says, So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we are conformed to him. We are being more and more conformed to him to his death. And one of the ways that is true is just seeing how the Lord Jesus responded to the cross. How did Jesus respond when the Bible tells us that, that no one took, Jesus said of himself, no one takes my life from me. I willingly lay it down. The Lord Jesus willingly laid down his life for us. He submitted. He surrendered himself to the will of the Father. That's what he did in the garden. And that's what he did at the cross. He willingly laid down himself for us because of his love for us. And dear friend, if our passion is to know Christ and keep knowing him in a more deep and intimate and loving way and to know his power in our lives, to know the power of his resurrection and to know the, the, the being conformed to his death, then we too must willingly lay down our lives Consider our lives nothing to hang on to, nothing to cling to, but willingly lay our lives down and consider ourselves dead to sin. Are you willing today to lay down your life? If you want to come to know Christ and to know him better and to grow in your knowledge of him, you must be willing to lay your life down. Consider yourself dead to sin in order that you may grow in your knowing of the resurrected Christ. But fifth and finally, know the resurrected Christ by anticipating your resurrection and your eternity with him. Look again at verse 11. He said, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. 
The word, the, the word here, resurrection, this particular word is used only one time in the New Testament. And it literally means out-resurrection, to, to rise up from the dead and, or, or from the dead ones. And, and again, Paul isn't expressing doubt here in his resurrection because he, in many places in Scripture, gives evidence of his absolute assurance of the resurrection. There's basically two ways that this, this particular uh, passage is, is interpreted. Uh, one is, uh, is, is this way, it, it, because the word means uh, to, to place or, or stand up. In the Greek world, uh, living people were seen as standing, and dead people were seen as lying down. And, uh, and so Paul wants to be a person this, uh, it, that, that is standing up in a world where everyone is lying down. You see, the Bible tells us again that we have life. We have Christ's life. But the Bible says that those without Christ are dead in their trespasses and sin. God wants to use us as a living illustration, a living demonstration that Christ is alive and that he truly makes a difference in the lives of those who, who follow him. So again, Paul wants to show others that, that he's living a new life in a, in a dark and a dreary world. And certainly that is what God has called us to be, to be light in the darkness, to be standing up and to be uh, living out as those who have the resurrection life. And certainly Paul that desired that. Some, on the other hand, believe that this is, is certainly not an, an indication of doubt, but that Paul is simply demonstrating humility when he talks about uh, this. It sounds as if though there's doubt, there is none, but Paul realizes he doesn't deserve to be there. He still can't really get over the fact that God has saved him, that he realizes now. And, and I want to say, friend, the more, you, the more you realize the awesomeness of Christ, the glory of Christ, uh, how wonderful a Savior and a Lord He is, the more you realize how undeserving you are of His grace. The more you realize that, that you know, and again, I've, it's, it's dawned on me not too long ago that, that when we've been in heaven for 10,000, 10 million, 10 billion years, we'll still be there by His grace. And we'll still probably want to pinch ourselves to say, what am I doing here? I deserve to be in hell. I don't deserve this. But to be here is all because of God's amazing grace. And we'll be still growing in our understanding of the awesomeness of Christ. And so Paul, in that realization, however, is living in the anticipation of his resurrection and of his eternity with Christ. The blessed hope. Living and looking for the blessed hope. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. That is the blessed hope. That is what we are anticipating as the people of God, being with him, being in his presence. And that's the blessed assurance that God has given to us as the people of God. Know the resurrected Christ. Do you know the resurrected Christ? If you haven't come to know him, we pray today that God will awaken your heart to realize your need for Christ, that you will be willing to forsake all and come to Jesus and follow him. If you do know him, my prayer is that God will ignite in you a new passion as Paul had to know Christ better, to want to love him more, to grow in your love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, that he will be, you'll come more and more to realize what a wonderful Lord you have. Again, the men in the parables that we talked about earlier said he's, he's worth 
forsaking everything. He's a treasure worth leaving everything behind for. He's worth it. It is really worth it to forsake him. Paul, Paul will say he's worth forsaking everything for. Forsaking everything for. To, to turn from my sin and to place my faith and trust in him and his righteousness. And, and in his righteousness alone. Because he died, he rose again. He's alive right now. Paul said, I want to know the resurrected Christ. Jesus um, encountered another man. We called him the rich young ruler. This young man uh, came to Jesus and, and uh, he, uh, he said, uh, Lord, what must, what must I do that I might inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you know the commandments? And he named off uh, several of the commandments to which the young man said, I've kept all those from my youth up. And Jesus said, well, one thing that you uh, lack, he said, uh, Go and sell your possession, sell all that you have, and then you'll have reward in heaven. Take up your cross, Jesus said, and follow me. And the Bible says that that man walked away. He walked away because he was unwilling to forsake all. He, he really thought the price was too high. He thought the demand was too great to have to forsake everything and follow Christ. You said, does that mean that if you follow Jesus, you can't have anything? You've got to live in poverty? Well, no. There were those who, who uh, Jesus entrusted with, with wealth. Uh, basically, it does mean you, you, uh, you no longer own it. It now belongs to him. You, he becomes your Lord, your owner, your master, your ruler. That's what it really means to follow Christ. He may, he may allow you to, uh, to be his steward. He may appoint you as his steward for those things. He does that. But it just seem, it simply means a willingness and a readiness to forsake all, anything that would be in your life that you would serve, anything that would be in your life that you would consider greater than Christ, turn your back on that. Be willing to forsake all and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, turning from your sin, putting your trust in Jesus who died for your sin and mine, who was buried, who rose again, surrendering your life to Jesus as master, owner, and ruler of your life. This man walked away disappointed, and as far as we know, we never see where he, he followed Christ. So he's living with this decision in eternity in hell apart from Christ. We don't want you to do that. We want you to be able to know the truth and the joy of what it means to follow Christ. We want you to know Christ. And if you've never come to know him, we invite you today to turn from your sin, forsake all, turn to Christ, surrender your life to him, and follow him. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.